the book of James. In case you haven't heard it before, uh, it's been said that many have spent their life climbing the ladder of success only to eventually discover that it was leaning against the wrong wall. You know, someone should have told them what the Bible says, that the way up is down. That true success is serving, not being served. That's something a lot of folks uh, never understand. A while back, Tim Tebow made the statement that uh, in looking for a wife, that he wanted a wife who... uh, who had a servant's heart, and no sooner did he make that statement that the media went nuts. I mean, all of a sudden there were horrible things being said uh, about him uh, all over the country from people that did not understand what it means to have a servant's heart. They didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Well, the sad thing is, A lot of professing Christians do not understand what it means to have a servant's heart. But this morning, I want you to look at a verse that tells us about a man who did understand that here in James chapter 1 and the very first verse. In fact, uh, just the first part of it tells all. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over the years, I've read a great many books, and uh, if the book is by someone that, you know, I'm not real familiar with, uh, I generally take time to read the biographical section. I don't know if you read the bios and and the books you read. uh, You know, sometimes it can be very educational uh, to do that. I like to know a little bit, something about the person that's uh, writing the book and uh, and the manner in which some some of them speak about themselves is really amazing actually sickening you know you 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 read the on the book cover a lot of times there'll be a little caption there you know, telling about the author, and, and this is written by the author, of course, or at least uh, his speech writer or ghost writer or someone, you know, world, world famous, uh, greatly demanded, highly educated, on and on and on it goes, uh, using all of those superlatives imaginable, trying to, you know, exalt this person. I don't know how you write that about yourself. I, I, I really don't. I think about the old-timey preachers. Do you realize that was the time when, when the preachers would not even allow their photograph to be taken? They thought that was a sign of vanity. And they, they didn't even want someone publishing their their photograph in the paper or in a book or anything like that. And uh, now we see these preachers writing all of this stuff about themselves. Well, we need fewer celebrities and more servants today. Whenever I think about James, uh, I, I can't help but think of all of the things that James could have said. 
James could have spoken about being the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, he could have related all of these childhood experiences or he could have elaborated greatly on the time that he spent with Christ and the things that he had learned and the things that he had experienced. I mean, he could have written book after book after book about these things. And so here by way of introduction, instead of saying any of those things, James just says, James, a servant. A servant. And, you know, we read that, and uh, if I were to say today, you know, that... uh, that I'm striving to reach a servant status, that'd be some people think I'd lost my mind. But that's the title of the message this morning, Servant Status. Because most people don't think of it as a status. In fact, they're looking for a way out of service instead of into service. But when we really understand it and what the Bible teaches about it, we'll see that being a servant is something that we ought to seek to enter into, not escape from. Everything changes when you realize that Christ dignified servanthood. Amen. All throughout history, you know, for someone to say, well, you know, I, I'm just a servant. Uh, that didn't mean much. But after Christ, it took on a whole new meaning The Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse number 7 that he took upon him the form of a servant. Think about that. The Lord of all becoming a servant to men. And he said to his followers, he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. So to be the servant of God is the highest honor possible. I mean, you could have no greater title than that, a servant of God. James understood that. Paul understood that. Peter understood that. All of them refer to themselves as servants. To really understand this, it's important that we know the meaning of this word servant, this particular word servant comes from a word that means bond slave. The law of the bond slave is given in Exodus chapter 21 in the first six verses. We'll not take time to read all of those verses this morning, but it went something like this. If a man was to buy a a servant, after six years, the servant was allowed to go out free for nothing. In other words, the same law that obligated him to be a servant also provided a measure of mercy so that after he had served for six years, he was allowed his freedom. The bond slave, though, was a man who decided that, and I'll share with you the reasons in a minute, he decided that rather than to take my freedom, I want to remain as a slave. I'm going to stay here as a servant. This was a permanent commitment that he made. They had a public ceremony where they took him before the elders and they put his ear against the doorpost and took an awl for you kids like an ice pick and uh, pierced his ear. I've heard, had a lot of people ask me, is it okay, you know, for 
for people to pierce their ears. Well, I guess it has to do with the reason, you know. But anyway, the the fact of the matter is they pierce the ear. The, the significance of that is that the ear was opened, indicating that I have opened my ear to the voice of my Master. I'm willing to listen to Him and to do His will. And so this was the... This was the, what is called the law of the bond slave. And this is what James has in mind when he says, I am a servant of God. One of the things about the bond slave, of course, is that he belonged to his master. Remember, whenever he starts out that section there regarding the law, if a man buy a servant, in other words, this is his precious possession, but after the, after the man has given himself fully as a, as a servant or as a slave for the rest of his life, naturally he is the permanent possession of the master. We need to remember that as Christians because as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, What know ye not? Ye are not your own. You're bought with a price. And whenever we think about the fact that we have no right whatsoever to do as we please because we don't belong to ourselves, we're never at liberty to do as we please. Our right, our responsibility is to do the voice of the master. When you think about the bond slave, for example, he couldn't decide what he was going to do during the course of a day. It was the master that decided what time he would arise what time he would eat, if he ate, what work he would do for the day, when he would quit. Everything was decided by the Master. And that's the way it ought to be in regards to those of us that claim Christ as our Savior, that it's all about what he would have us to do. Now, now here's the sad thing. For a lot of people, they make it all about being the sons of God. And all of the emphasis is placed on what we get, what we receive. You hear a lot of the prosperity preachers and what have you today, and that's, that's as far as they go with their preaching. It's all about you become a Christian, and, you know, as a result of that, you, you gain all of these things. Now, certainly, as a Christian, we ought to rejoice in what we receive. We receive the forgiveness of sins, the power of the Holy Spirit, the hope of heaven, and on and on and on. I mean, there's no end to the list of benefits that we derive from being a child of God. And while we need to rejoice in that, we don't need to get stuck there because it's God's intention that every one of His children eventually become servants. That's what He intended Servants of righteousness, Paul said in Romans chapter number 6. Now, let's think about the law of the bond slave and think about his dilemma. You know, in those days when you were born into slavery, or you either that or you were bought as slaves, either way, either way, you were in bondage to another person. Maybe you're here today and you've never made any profession of faith. You don't claim to be a Christian. You haven't joined a church. You haven't pledged your allegiance to any particular denomination. 
And so consequently, you, you know, you think and you want to leave the impression with people that you're free to do as you please. But that's simply not true. You're not free to do as you please. Every single person here this morning is under the control of some dominating influence or power. Every one. And as a sinner, please understand when Paul said to Timothy, speaking of the unsaved, they're taken captive of the devil at his will. And what an awful thing it is to live your life in bondage to the world and the flesh and the devil. To, to live in bondage. And th- listen, that was the dilemma of someone that was a slave. But then we think about the duty of the bond slave. The duty was to what? To do the will of the master, regardless of what it was. He had never any right to do whatever he pleased. He couldn't decide, you know, I'm going to think I'll take a few days off and I'd like to go fishing or I'd like to do this or I'd like to do that. Everything was determined by his master. Now, you know, that's not so bad, as, you know, if, if the master is the right kind of a person. But we're talking about somebody that's living in bondage, and as a result of that, they have to do the bidding of one who is absolutely evil, one who is absolutely determined, one who is absolutely dead set on bringing about their destruction. I've often talked about back before I was saved, and in fact, I, I won't talk much about my life before I was saved. I don't want to talk about it, don't want to think about it, because I realized that I wasn't in control of anything back then. Uh, uh, you know, you think you are. You think, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. I can remember standing on my head in a bar room and daring anybody to come and push me off. And, uh, I mean, you've got to be pretty nutty to do that in the first place, to stand on your head up on the bar and dare somebody to come and push you off. Uh, To get out of that place alive is one thing, but to be stupid enough to do something like that is another thing. And I really didn't want to be what I had become. And time and time again, I would beg Bev to forget about the divorce, take me back, let me come home. You know, I'm going to do better. I'm going to quit drinking. That was my intent. But it just didn't last. It didn't last until I was delivered by a greater power. And as a result of that, as a result of that, then I incurred a responsibility to the one that redeemed me from my sin. Now I want you to think about the decision that the bond slave made because this is, this is absolutely crucial and it's, it, it, it's so important to understand why would a man who is who is given his freedom, promised his freedom, allowed to have his freedom, why would he choose to stay there as a bond slave? First of all, this was a personal decision. It was voluntary. He could have left. You know, he, he didn't have to remain there. He was free to do whatever he wanted to do which was to remain, you know, under the slave and the domination of the flesh, naturally, and 
And for those of us here today, even though you've been saved, the Lord does not force you to attend church. He might wish, you know, might make you wish you had, but He doesn't force you. He doesn't literally pick you up and transport you from your bedroom to the church pew. He doesn't do that. It has to be of your own volition. It's your choice. It's a voluntary matter. And the manner in which you spend your life is a choice that you have to make. God is not going to make you do anything. You don't have to serve the Lord. That's a choice that you have to make. And so the bond slave made a decision. It was a personal decision. But the personal decision was prompted by certain things. And if you read there in Exodus chapter 21, the first thing he says, he says, I will not go out free. He said, I love my master. You see, that's the thing that makes all of the difference in the world. I love my master. I love him. I don't, why would I want to go anywhere? I love my master. You know, he cares for me. I love my master. I'm not going out free. But secondly, he said, not only do I love my master, he said, I love my wife. I'm not about to go off and to, to leave. I love my wife. And then he said, I love my children. So here he is convinced that he would be happier being there as a servant than he would out on his own. Not only would he be happier, but he would be more well cared for by being there. You know, I, I can't help but to think about last week when we talked about Naomi. And here, here was a woman, you know, that experienced both sides of life. And she said, I went out full and the Lord brought me a home again, empty. But she came back rejoicing rejoicing as a result of the goodness of God toward her. She came back and the Lord blessed her like the prodigal son. Whenever the prodigal son left, you know, his father's house, went into the far country, spent all he had in riotous living, all of a sudden he's dead broke. You know, there no no friends around him now, no one there to to offer a helping hand. I mean he is down to nothing. Zilch, it's all gone. And the Bible says, and when he came to himself, when he really started thinking straight, he said, I know what I'll do. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to my father's house. He said, for the servants, the servants in my father's house have more than I do. And here, I, I am a son, and they have it better than I do. So as he goes back and the father runs out to meet him, you'll remember, he didn't have to beg and to plead to be accepted. The father didn't say, I'm going to put you on probation or anything. He just went out, accepted him with open arms. He received him. They had a big celebration. And the son said, I'm no more worthy to be called your son just take me back as a servant. In other words, it's like he's saying, I'm willing to come back. I'll sleep out in the servants' quarters. I'll eat the rough food that's, you know, given to the servants. I'll do the hard labor that's demanded from the servants. You know, I'm willing to do whatever, 
you know, whatever it takes. I mean, I, I just, you know, because I'm better off here as a servant than I am out there on my own doing what I want to do. And all of this is involved in the decision of the bond slave. He said, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I'll not go out free, I'll not leave. And he decided that he was going to stay, and, and, and it was a permanent decision. This is something he couldn't undo after he did. So after the piercing of the ear, it was a done deal There was no retirement plan and no resignations accepted. It was a lifelong commitment. And that's the way that we ought to think about our commitment to Christ. Not something that just will last from one revival to the next revival, but a commitment that we make for the length of our life. And our motto ought to be faithful unto death. Not faithful until death, but faithful unto death. That is that we'll remain faithful even if it costs us our very lives. So here we see the decision that he made and the duty that he incurred. But I want you to think about his destiny. You know, no doubt there would have been some that would have called him a fool. Can you imagine putting yourself in his sandals and being in a situation like that and the time is drawing near that he spent six long years there in servitude and the time is approaching and everybody knows it, all of his friends, all of his fellow slaves, they know it like, you know, prisoners in the big house and they're counting down the days and they know today is the day. You can declare your freedom. You can walk away from this place. You can be a free man tomorrow. The sun comes up in the morning, and they look out there, and they see this fellow there at the doorpost, and it all being stuck through the lobe of his ear, marking him, and they know that he has made the decision to remain for the rest of his life as a slave in that place. And you've got to know, human nature being what it is, that no doubt there were some that thought, man, you are a fool. You must be a complete idiot to not take your freedom and get out of here as fast as you can. But when you look at the big picture, you see the wisdom of his choice. You see... The only way a bond servant could ever be set free was by adoption. He was to be a servant for the rest of his life unless the master said, I am adopting you into my family. And by the way, that happened in a great many cases. Think about that. You've spent all of these years out there in the servant's quarters doing his servant's work, and now for the master one day to say, I've got something to tell you. It's good news. I've decided to adopt you as one of my children into my family. Tonight, you eat at the family table. 
Tonight you eat what my family eats. And to enjoy all of the privileges of being a member of that family, adopted into the family, but there's more to it even than that, because in that adoption process, he could never, ever, ever disown a child that he had adopted. He could disown any of the other children, by the way. They could lose their inheritance. They could be disowned. But once adopted into the family, he could never be disowned. Now, when you put all of those pieces together, you begin to see that this this bond slave is not as dumb as you thought he was. And even so it is with those who make themselves the servants of Christ. Let me tell you, there is, it's all to gain and nothing to lose when you do that. Have you ever dreamed about, you know, doing something big, becoming something great with your life? Well, I got good news for you. You'll never do any better than to become a servant of God. There is no higher position in all of the world because after all, what is greatness? True greatness is simply discovering the will of God and doing it. Amen. In Mark chapter 10 and verse number 45, it says, For even the Son of Man, the speaking of Jesus, came not to be ministered to, but to minister. And as a Christian, if you think you're here for any other reason than that, you're mistaken. That's the only reason we're here on earth. There's no reason for God to leave us here if we're not going to serve Him. We'd all be better off in heaven, all of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the heartache, you know, all of the things that are so difficult to endure. The Lord could take all of that away in a heartbeat and just call us home to heaven. To depart and be with Christ is far better, Paul said, and he's right. It is far better, but Paul said it's more needful for me to remain. So if we're not meeting any needs, if we're not ministering to any people, if we're not serving God, there is no reason for us to be here on this earth. And because of that, every Christian ought to have a servant's heart. And I don't know about you, but the one thing above everything in life, there are a lot of things important to me, but the one thing above everything that I want out of life is this, and that is to hear my master say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what it all boils down to, to win his approval. To know that in some way that my life has been pleasing to Him, and that makes all of the toils of the road seem as nothing. That makes all of the sacrifices and everything worthwhile just to know that in serving Him, I have pleased Him. Let me tell you, that is something that is within the reach of every single Christian. Being a servant of God doesn't depend upon my IQ. Well, that'd let a bunch of us out, wouldn't it? You had to have the IQ of a genius. Uh, we'd be written off early. Does it depend on our IQ? 
It doesn't depend upon our ability. It doesn't even depend upon our education, our health, our wealth, or our fame. It all depends on our willingness to do the will of God and nothing more and nothing less. There's nothing better, nothing more important than being a servant of God, as Paul said. Now listen carefully. Here's what people need to realize. You can't become a servant of God until you become a son of God. In other words, until you become one of God's children, you can't do anything that's acceptable to Him. The Bible says even the plowing of the wicked is sin. An unsaved person, regardless of how hard they try, how much they contribute, or whatever they do, they can never do anything that's acceptable in the sight of God. You cannot possibly please God in anything you do. I've heard people say, well, you know, oh, so-and-so, you know, I know he's not a Christian, but he's really a good person. No, he's not. He's a dirty, rotten, low-down, good-for-nothing rebel against heaven. And, and by the way, that's true of all of us. That doesn't mean he's, you know, any worse than you are, but it, th- that's what we all are by nature. The Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I can't become a servant of God until I become a child of God. And the only way to do that is what? To accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's the only way. You can try to climb the highest mountain, swim the widest sea. Whatever you try to do, it'll never be good enough. Because you continue to come short of the glory of God. But the very moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, you become a child of God. Now, when that happens, let me tell you what the first thing is that you ought to do. You ought to do exactly what the Apostle Paul did after he was saved. And what was that? He said, listen, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Sounds like a servant to me. Lord, what do you want me to do? That ought to be your attitude as a Christian. By the way, do you know what the first thing God had him to do? It was to be baptized. That's the very first thing. You see, you're in no position to start serving the Lord until you have followed the Lord in baptism. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul explains all of this. And he tells us, You know, so many times we think about baptism as just being our testimony of salvation. We call it the outward expression of our inward faith. And all of that is true. We call it a declaration of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We speak of it as our hope in the resurrection that someday we're going to be raised up from the grave. And all of that's true, but there's also something else. There is also in your baptism your pledge... Your promise to walk in newness of life. Because as a result of you having received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become a new creature in Christ. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us what we are to do, that is how we are to be a servant of Christ, and he tells us how to do it. Down near the end of that chapter, he mentions three things. Verse number 18, he says, we are the servants of righteousness. In verse number 19, he says, we are servants to righteousness unto holiness. And then in verse number 22, he says, we are servants 
to God. Now, I can't say it any better than that. Because we are no longer the servants to sin, self, and Satan. Now we are the servants of God. I'm not a fan of Bob Dylan in any sense of the word, but he got it right many years ago when he wrote and sang a song that became popular. It says, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. That's true. Jesus said we can't have two masters. You're either for me or you are against me. You are either serving him, you're either a servant of God, or you're not. Now, it might be that you've been saved. It might be that not only have you been saved, but you've become a student of God. So every week it's off to church, you know, you get your Bible in your hand and here you go to church. You're a student of God. You're going to learn all you can about God. And oh, Listen, that's all well and good. That's wonderful. That's important. But some people never get to the service part. You see, God's intention is that we become the servants of God, servants of righteousness. That's why we're here on this earth. I, I don't know, what, what is it that you need to motivate you? Why would anyone have to beg and plead for you to serve God? It ought to be as natural as breathing. I read the story of a, of a fellow that was a slave. True story, by the way, many years ago and... Uh, he just, and back in those days, in fact, I'd literally run off a copy of the story because I didn't want to lose it. And the title was Set Free in Order to Serve. And uh, had to do with a fellow called Old Joe. Old Joe was a slave, and they took him down to the auction like like they did in those days, as horrible as it was. And uh, so they put him up on the auction block. And old Joe kept calling out, I ain't going to work. I ain't going to work. The bidding started, and the auctioneer, you know, described. Joe said, he can still work. And old Joe said, I ain't going to work. You can beat me. You can do whatever you want to do. I ain't going to work. This is wrong. I ain't going to work. And the bidding started and it just kept going higher. And he just kept saying over and over, I ain't going to work. The old auctioneer, you know, as auctioneers do, he tried to point out all of his good qualities. He's so tall and he is strong and boy, he can do this and that. And the bidding just kept going and going. And it finally got down to just two or three people. They were bidding back and forth, and the bidding had gone higher than anyone had ever seen before. And all of the time, him saying, I ain't going to work. Well, finally, the bidding stopped, the gavel dropped, and he was sold. The fellow came up there to take him into his possession, and he looked at his new owner and said, I ain't going to work. 
didn't say anything, just loaded him up, took him out to the farm. And he said to the man, he said, I ain't going to work. And the man looked at him and said, you don't have to. You don't have to. They took him out there, not to the servants' quarters, but to a nice little cottage that was there on the farm. said, this is yours. And old Joe began to, to weep. He said, you don't have to work. He said, I didn't, I, I didn't buy you in order, to, in order to make you work. I bought you to set you free. And this is yours for as long as you live. You're a free man. And the old slave began to cry and, and said to the man, He said, I will gladly serve you for the rest of my life and do anything you want me to do. Do you, do you see the difference? Because it's not something he had to do any longer. He's been delivered from this horrible, terrible bondage of slavery and now he willingly subjects himself to the care of a man who can take better care of him than he can himself. He didn't have a cottage to go to. He didn't have anything. He had nothing on his own. But there in the care of the Master, he had everything he needed And I'm telling you today, if you've been set free by the saving grace of God and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shouldn't need anything to motivate you to serve Him. Everything you need, everything you could ever desire is all found in your willingness to be a servant. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So, there's only one question left. Have you reached servant status yet? Have you reached a servant status yet? Are you there? Have you made that commitment to the Lord that I will serve you unconditionally for the rest of my life. Some of you made a commitment like that before, even back when you were baptized. You said, I'll walk in newness of life, but you haven't. And you need to repent of that. And then there are those here today that have never made a commitment like that because they've never yet trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You're going to do one of two things today. Listen, you're either going to walk out that door a slave to sin, self, and Satan. Either that, or you're going to be set free through the salvation that Jesus Christ provides. One of the two. And it's your choice. Nobody can force you. So what, what will your choice be? Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you for the willingness to give your Son and his willingness to die on the cross and his mighty power that is able to set us free from the bondage of sin 
for the power that enables us to walk in a newness of life. And Heavenly Father, help us to get beyond just knowing what we ought to do and help us to dedicate ourselves fully to doing Your will for the rest of our life, for committing ourselves to carry out Your will in absolutely everything that we do, that finally one day at long last that we'll stand before You and hear You say, Well done, Thou good and faithful servant. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and as we sing. It's 366.